With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside executive producer John Seymour and videographer Nick Yale. Welcome in to the HomeLoanExpert.com studios with our guest, St. Louis County Executive Candidate, Mark Monavani. So many topics with Mark covered here over the next hour plus in our conversation, and I have a feeling you're going to enjoy hearing his perspective on a wide variety of St. Louis-centric topics as he readies himself for the election in August of 2018. Uh, we were sitting down and talking it over, and it was one of those interviews that it just kept getting deeper and deeper. And, and, and the thing that I really liked about it is so often when you're talking politics, and this is one of my biggest complaints regarding talking politics— is you already know the answer before you ask the question because you know where the person you're interviewing uh, lines up politically. And so, therefore, they're just going to follow the platform of whichever side, so to speak, they're on. Well, Mark Montavani uh, isn't afraid to stray from what would be considered the party line. And as a matter of fact, as you will hear, at one point in the interview, I actually say to him, I said, I like a lot of the things you're saying. But as somebody who's running in St. Louis County, I'm not sure that a lot of the people who would be voting in St. Louis County will like what you're saying. And Mark's response was, OK, then fine. I don't want to win the job if I'm going to have to essentially not be who I am and not share what I really think is important to get St. Louis and the region back on track. And I found that answer to be uh, enlightening into where he's coming from and why somebody who hasn't been in politics throughout their lifetime, and he's in his 60s, uh, has decided now. But you will hear why, and you will hear the background uh, of his life and also his perspective on the issues that so many people uh, in St. Louis want to hear. And you'll hear them in the unedited format that is our podcast. And as Mark uh, said this is the kind of thing he likes to do because you're not editing out sound bites and clips, which he feels like has has happened here in the uh, in his first political campaign. So that's what we have for you here. Really enjoyed this interview and looking forward to bringing it to you 
here on the Tim McKernan Show. As always, I like your feedback. I just do. I, just, I enjoy interacting with the audience. Do it on Facebook on the TMA fan page. Um, and also do it over email. Tim McKernan at InsideSTL.com. If you haven't listened to the podcast up until now, please subscribe. And so many of our interviews, I think we're like approaching 80 episodes at this point, starting back in October of 2017, uh, are evergreen. In other words, you can listen to them, and it's not like they're dated. And uh, and there's so many great ones. And that's a credit to uh, our producer, John Seymour, for getting the caliber of guests we have gotten. And you can pick through which ones you want. And there are hour to hour and a half conversations with people telling stories that many times I hadn't even heard. And, uh, and that's why I just sit here. Uh, like a fanboy oftentimes and just listening and asking random questions. Uh, and like I said, it plays like a conversation more so than an actual interview. It is uh, from the homeloanexpert.com studios. Our sponsors make it possible. It's that simple. If the sponsors were to go away, the show would go away. It's business. And that's why we're so grateful to the sponsors who make it possible. And Ryan Kelly and the homeloanexpert.com team have been on board from the beginning. They are the sponsors of our studios, and they are who I am talking to right now, as a matter of fact, about doing business with them. You go online at thehomeloanexpert.com, and whether you want to purchase a home or whether you want to refinance, it's that simple. There are two tabs. Click on them, and then you can enter in your information, and you can find out the numbers to get an idea of how much your payment would be on a new home or how much you would save if you were to refinance. Five minutes can save you $500. Why not go to thehomeloanexpert.com, support the sponsors, but... Save yourself some money. Ryan Kelly and his incredible staff at thehomeloanexpert.com. They are the studio sponsors on the Tim McKernan Show. So Mark Montavani will be running against Steve Stanger in August. How did he get into politics? Well, you got to go back into his business career, but then you can go back into his legal career and why he decided to make a switch and how he got to this point. The story's fascinating. The reasons for running intriguing and then his politics i think you're going to find it to be incredibly fascinating to hear wow so he's here on this topic but he's there on this topic and personally that's why i really enjoyed the interview because i would ask a question and unlike with many politicians where you can watch them wherever you may watch them or read them wherever you may read them you already feel like you know the answer before the question is completed that was not the case with mark Montavani, our guest this week on the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I'm honored to have you in here because as I was researching for the interview, I'm like, I feel like we have a lot of thought processes in common. So so that's going to be dangerous because I'm already on board with where, where you're coming from. Beware, I'm on board with you. And that might not be good for you because I... <laughs> I don't know what credibility I bring to the table. Oh, well, with me, you have credibility. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that so much. So what's 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 the story? Because you have so many different elements to your life <laughs> that, that are, uh, from my standpoint, fascinating. Because they're like different chapters of your life. From the youth standpoint to, of course, high school and college to where you started in your career to where you switched. And then now to the decision to run for... St. Louis County Executive. So let's start at the beginning, if I may. Growing up, where were you growing up? Uh, well, first of all, I, I think that's right. I think my life has had different chapters, uh, and I I have enjoyed the uh, process of uh, learning new things and kind of redefining my uh, objectives as I've gotten older. Uh, but 
to go back to, uh, to your question. Uh, so I, I, w- where I was born on the hill. Uh, my, my family lived actually just off the hill uh, on Arsenal in Epiphany Parish. Oh, and we, nice. we lived Bowling alley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, we've had a family reunion or two there, actually. Is that right? yeah. uh, and uh, we lived there till I was uh, five or six. And then, uh, like a lot of uh, families back in the early 60s, we got out of the city. Uh, my my parents moved to Afton, so I was really raised uh, in Afton. Went to parochial schools uh, there at Seven Holy Founders, and uh, then uh, St. Louis High. God bless you. And, and uh, <laughs> so my my grandfather was an immigrant. Uh, my my father had gone to St. Louis High uh-huh. uh, because he was a, a a great baseball player back in the day when. Uh, recruiting had a different kind of context to it. Uh, my my father was a, a, a good athlete and uh, a Jesuit back when the Jesuits wore robes. And I, there was so, there was one left when I got yeah, there. Yeah, Father uh, Bondahar. I remember. Oh yeah, geometry teacher. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. Hardcore right. too. Yes, he could draw a circle without a. <laughs> Compass just on the flip it on, up on the board. It yeah. was, yeah. You remember that? Yeah. It was Very intimidating. Crazy, <laughs> along crazy. with the long thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, some uh, some Jesuit uh, saw my father pitching when uh, he was uh, you know seventh or eighth grader and said, uh, uh, "Hey, I, why don't you come to our our, our Catholic uh, school?" My grandfather, being an immigrant, they didn't have a lot of dough, and so my dad went to Saint Louis High. And I think in many respects, that was a real transformational. Uh, uh, door that my family went through uh, at at that point in time. My dad ended up uh, graduating from uh, uh, SLU in 1936. They had a legendary baseball team in 1936. Bob Highland and my dad became good friends. Really? They were like co-captains, I think, of this baseball team that won the, the championship of the region, which effectively they called the, the state. There's a big uh, trophy in the SLU trophy cabinet. They call it the Frankie Frisch trophy. And it has all these guys, Joe Schultz, before your time, perhaps, who was a uh, coach on the Cardinals when they won the 64 World Series. He was maybe a third base coach, first base coach, something like that, was also on that team. And uh, uh, so that was a that was a sea change, I think, uh-huh. for my family. I have an older brother who also went to St. Louis U High. Uh, and, uh, and from a academic, uh, orientation, I think it really changed, uh, our, our lives. Yeah. To be able to go there and then be second generation at that point for dad, that had to be huge. You go to St. Louis, U high, and then where does that take you? So, uh, I went to, uh, Quincy college. Uh, most of the people, my age who went to Quincy College, went there to play soccer. I was about to say, great yeah. soccer. Yeah, I'm the only guy I know who went there for the academics, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, uh, because I didn't play soccer. Uh, 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 Francis Slay and I were contemporaries there. Uh, I was I was actually Francis's RA uh, in oh. the dormitory. I was a year older than Francis, <laughs> and uh, he has frequently introduced me to people around town as his RA and he says, I'm still afraid of this guy. <laughs> oh, you were hardcore. You were hardcore I wasn't at all, but, uh, uh, and Francis was never a problem anyway, <laughs> believe me. But so I went to Quincy college, uh, and, uh, then directly into Missoula school. Uh, so I was, were you, were you always wanting to be an attorney? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I think, uh, you know, what causes us to make these decisions are uh, complicated uh, factors. Uh, I had an older brother uh, who was uh, much smarter than me, uh, who uh, f- 
from the time he was six years old, said he wanted to be a doctor. And so uh, when he said in an Italian family as a six-year-old he was going to be a doctor, everybody stood up and gave him a standing ovation. He stuck with that his whole life. And so as the second son in the family, uh, the medical thing had already been taken. And so uh, what was what was next best thing? It was either I would be a lawyer or a priest, and being a lawyer appealed to me a lot more. I understand. So, yeah, I always wanted to be, wanted to, uh, be a lawyer. Um, I had never met a lawyer, if you can imagine. Mm-hmm. that uh, Lawyers were not, at least in my neck of the woods, as prevalent as they are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had never met a lawyer until I started law school. And um, so at, at Mizzou, my... I had seen lawyers on TV. I thought I would be a trial lawyer. After my first year of law school, I clerked for a criminal defense firm here in uh, St. Louis, downtown St. Louis, firm that's not in existence anymore, and uh, discovered that I couldn't see myself living that life. Uh, the work was exciting, uh, but I had some uh, kind of principles, uh, qualms about the nature of the work, uh, a lot of criminal defense lawyers, not all, certainly. I don't mean to paint everybody by the same brush, but uh, the, the practice that I was involved with, uh, they had a lot of re- repeat clients. And if you're a criminal defense lawyer and you repeat clients, that means you have repeat criminals. <laughs> and it felt like, to me, we were kind of keeping the drugs on the street. And so I, uh, I, I, after my first year of law school, I completely redirected myself into business. And I went back to Missoula Law School second and third year. I took every business course I could, every tax course I could. Uh, hadn't studied in business in undergraduate school at all. And uh, to the extent that when I graduated, uh, I immediately went to graduate school in, at the uh, University of Pittsburgh. Uh, my wife and I, we'd gotten married uh, after my first year of law school. Uh, we loaded up a little, the smallest little U-Haul trailer you could get. And we drove from Columbia to Pitt, uh, to Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and I studied uh, 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 business at uh, Pitt's Graduate School of Business. So uh, straight straight through, huh? High school, college, law school, business school, and so I'm 26, and I've got all those degrees. And started. Uh, well, I had to work while I was in graduate school. Started working a little consulting business for a brilliant guy who had started his own uh, financial consulting business. Uh, he's uh, legendary. Uh, I, he wasn't at the time. He was 34. Uh, he became a legendary uh, uh, financial executive. and uh, But he had just started this firm. I was the first guy he hired. And so I was in small business immediately mm-hmm. and uh, had the opportunity uh, to work with very senior level executives at some of the largest corporations in America, as if I knew anything, <laughs> which I didn't. And... Uh, but I was around those guys, uh, and they were guys. Uh, they weren't guys and gals. They were just guys uh, right from the beginning. And uh, so I did that for about uh, five or six years. So my wife and I lived in Pittsburgh, and then we uh, we were opening offices for my firm, and then we were growing rapidly, and then we would replace me, and I go on to open another office. So we, we went from Pittsburgh to uh, Houston to Minneapolis to Dallas over the course of uh, five or six years. And I had been representing myself as a lawyer um, to my clients. I had never seen the inside of a courtroom in my life mm-hmm. because I'd gone straight into business. And so we um, uh, we wanted to raise our children here. We had started a family. We had two kids. And so I left that business in 1985 and came back to St. Louis and uh, had saved just a little bit of money and just 
uh, hung out a shingle and started practicing law all by myself. Didn't really want to get a job uh, working for a law firm. I just wanted to do this on my own. And so uh, I practiced law uh, for 15 years. Uh, I formed a firm with an old UHI buddy in 1992 in, uh, in Clayton, a firm that continues today. Back in the, those days, it was referred to as Bear, Montevani, McCarter, and Potter. And uh, so I practiced law between 85 and 2000. And, uh, and in 2000, I had a client, a small family business, uh, sort of a, a, an analog marketing um, services business that the family wanted to grow and sell. That was their objective. And they asked me if I would consider leaving law practice to come in and uh, run their business for them to create value and uh, sell it. So that's what I did. I uh, uh, talk about a... Uh, you know, another a fork in the road, huh? Right. The, the the first fork that I took was when I went to business school after law school. Uh-huh. Very few guys my era sure. did that. That right. was very unusual back in the day. Today, there are all these four-year programs for JD MBAs and whatnot. That didn't exist back then. Uh, so that was a fork in the road that kind of brought me in the business uh, uh, world. And then when I left uh, law practice... Uh, that was a clear fork in the road. I had kids getting ready to go to college. Yeah, that's a defining decision. I mean, that's a defining decision. So what are you, what are you and your wife talking about when this offer is, is put forth? Well, so, <clears throat> uh, again, many factors go into making that decision. One of them was that I had been doing legal work for a lot of family-owned businesses, and I had been helping them sell themselves, sell their businesses. I had sold a lot of small family-owned businesses. And we would go to those closings after lengthy negotiations. And uh, I, my clients would walk away having created a lot of wealth. And I would walk away from those closings with one less law client. <laughs> and it occurred to me that I could have a wonderful life practicing law. We were paying the bills. Things were fine but I wasn't going to create any kind of personal wealth. And when this family approached me, of course, we made an arrangement that I would uh, be part of the uh, equity, part of the structure of any deal. And so, uh, so that was really attractive to me. Uh-huh. I, thought it was a, uh, I thought it would be uh, just a few years, and I'd go back to practicing law. I'd help them grow the business. We'd sell it. I'd make a little bit of dough, and I'd go back to uh, practicing law. And... Uh, so, um, that pretty much transpired, except I never got back to law practice. Yeah. So the, the family exited that business in 2005. When you I took, took o- it over in 2000, 2000, okay. uh, it, it, it was, uh, um, about a $5 million revenue stream when I started there and about 50 employees. And, um, I, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but by I've read one thousand five. Well, is that's when I left. Really, when I when I left in sixteen, okay. it was more like one hundred and twenty million dollar and uh, seven hundred fifty eight hundred employees. Okay, but uh, when the family exited in 05, it was more probably like a, a twenty million dollar revenue stream at that oh, point still in time. Four hundred percent. Yeah. So things went really well. And I was clearly not a marketing guy, by the way. This was a marketing services business. Uh, uh, I always tell people that, in fact, even when I was in business school, I cut all the marketing classes I could because I thought it was a bunch of baloney, yeah. to tell you the truth. And here I'm running a marketing business. But for once in my life, I listened to people yeah. because I knew I wasn't an expert. Yeah. 
I think I did better running a business that in an area where I had no great expertise than I would have if I had been running a business that I knew everything about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I wouldn't have listened to people had I uh, been taking over a bigger law firm, for example, to run at that time, because mm-hmm. I would have thought I had all the answers. Mm-hmm. In the marketing uh, space, I realized the, uh, uh, the, the fact that I needed counsel and advice, and uh, uh, I think I've always been blessed with pretty good judgment. Uh, but uh, from a substantive standpoint, I, I was no expert at all. And so um, I listened to people. It went well. The business prospered. We diversified the business a whole lot. It, uh, we, we ended up, uh, when, when I began at the business, it was essentially a, a clipping bureau. You know, what a, a, a clipping bureau back in the day before the Internet existed was an organization that collected newspaper ads from around the country. We, they subscribed to 300 newspapers uh-huh. a day. And would sell subscriptions then to different clients who wanted to monitor different advertising. So back in the day, if you were Bloomingdale's and you wanted to know what uh, Feline's or Marshall Fields were advertising, you subscribe to a clipping bureau. The clipping bureau would get all those newspapers in, uh, get your kind of customized set of ads, put them in a brown paper bag and mail them off. Oh, my God. And. Uh, and it, it was, it was, it was a, a reasonable, uh, investigation because they wanted to know what other like retailers were promoting, what their ads looked like, what their pricing looked like, uh, and creative, uh, uh, comparisons and the like. And so that was the core of the business whenever I took it over in 2000. Okay. I don't like the term took it over, frankly, but right. uh, when I started uh, Began working, operating. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so. Uh, we we ended up digitizing that business. Uh, you know, we were right at the at the uh, at the birth of a lot of uh, technology, which would have enhanced those kinds of uh, uh, right. uh, opportunities to share information. Uh, there, there's a, there's another part of that industry called co-op advertising. Sure. You might be familiar, Very familiar with, with it. it, absolutely. So the way I explain this to people is, if you're an automobile dealer in St. Louis and you take out a full page ad in the St. Louis Post Dispatch. Let's say you're a Ford dealer. Ford Motor Company subsidizes the purchase of that advertising. Uh, it's a big number. It used to be a really big number. Mm-hmm. And there are rules around uh, how that ad has to be constructed, what it has to look like in, if Ford is going to subsidize the, the, the investment. Mm-hmm. And we wrote and administered all those rules. And over time, we ended up doing that work for uh, every automobile manufacturer uh, in America, essentially, with the exception of uh, General Motors. And, uh, and, and so we cornered that market. We professionalized it. We, we only employed professional uh, 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 young people doing the work, college graduates, mm-hmm. a lot of Mizzou marketing graduates, uh, we gave them all computers, so we kind of professionalized the function of what had previously been more of a sweatshop type of operation, and the business grew. Wow, to, yeah. to a huge, huge extent. Yeah, yeah. So 2016, you decide? Yeah, so I, I left my CEO's role in 2014. Okay. We were getting, uh, so when the family like exited in 2005, we brought in private equity partners, and I uh, continued as CEO. And then the business continued to grow, and those guys exited in 2012. And larger private equity investors came in. And at some point, I told those guys, look, this is my last rodeo with this business. I've kind of done what I want to do here. And so we decided that before they sold, maybe a year before, 
we would go hire a new CEO because you don't want to have a, a buyer, a bidder on a business realize they've got to change out the CEO. Mm-hmm. So we wanted somebody mm-hmm. who's going to stay with the business when the new owners came in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we replaced me in 14. I continued as board chairman and brought a new CEO. Then we sold the business again in uh, December of 2016 and I exited the organization fully. All right. So, you know, a number of sales as the business was growing. And it's December, 2016. Now you're completely finished with this thing that you had built to a huge scale versus when you took it over in 2000. And are you thinking at that point, what am I going to do? Is that what you were thinking? Or what was the thought process then? I mean, I would imagine it has to be an incredibly satisfying, but but if you're always thinking about what's the next play, you're probably thinking about what am I going to do? Yeah, well, so a couple of, a couple of things that I'd just like to clarify. Um, I, I never like to refer to the fact that I really did this because there are a lot smarter people involved in this process than me, and I get a lot of the credit and notoriety because I was the CEO, but practically speaking, uh, there are people a lot smarter than me who were doing the work every day, and I was uh, helping orchestrate that. But uh, this was a real collective uh, achievement, uh, certainly not uh, just my own. Uh, in 2005, the company had been growing a lot, and so we relocated the business. This is, I think, kind of an interesting story. I don't know if you've ever thought about how it looks for a business that's adding employees rapidly, mm-hmm. but uh, we were just tenants of office space, and we were looking to find more space, and everybody wanted us to sign a lease for five years or three years even or ten years. Well, we didn't know how big we were going to be. And so it was very difficult to make a commitment as to how much space we needed. Mm-hmm. So the family that had owned the business, uh, this is the McKegg family, okay. uh, and I decided that we would buy a building uh, that would accommodate whatever growth we were able to achieve. So in 2005, we bought a, a, a mostly dilapidated old uh, warehouse in the city uh, at 2300 Locust. It was just a, a block east of Jefferson on okay. Locust. Sure. Uh, a six-story uh, old brick uh, building, 175,000 square feet. And we renovated it, and we moved the company from the county into the city of St. Louis. And... Uh, uh, turned that building and I think in uh, around obviously and influenced the uh, trajectory of that neighborhood as well. I'm really proud of that. Mm -hmm. And by virtue of doing that at that time, uh, we probably had 150 employees in St. Louis, something like that, maybe a little more. And we took those jobs into the city of St. Louis. Well, I was real popular with mm-hmm. the mayor and others for bringing jobs into the city of St. Louis at the time when others are leaving. And so they started asking me to serve on different boards and commissions, as you would expect. And I ended up getting mostly involved with the downtown partnership at the time. And I ended up then being board chairman of the downtown partnership for a number of terms uh, because uh, I was committed to uh, the uh, renewal of of the downtown. And we did some really good work. If you, if you look at 
what was going on. Well, I in, lived down there. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah, you I did. loved it. That's 2009 right. through 2012, we lived down there. Washington Avenue and then uh, Park Pacific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was great. I oh, mean, it was, it was the best. We were very optimistic. Best. We were making real progress, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, eventually I ended up rolling off that board and uh, kind of losing some connection with the organization, unfortunately. Uh, uh, and I think we've lost some of the momentum uh, in downtown St. Louis. But uh, uh, that was really my introduction into real civic kind of orientation. Did you find yourself enjoying it? Loved it. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. Uh, but just as I was in my business career, I saw so many things that I wanted to tackle, you know? Um, I remember I, I gave a, a little speech. We would have an annual meeting at Downtown Partnership, you know, you know four or 500 people. Uh, and I gave a little speech about the uh, objectives that, we had for the organization I had for the organization and you know, a downtown has many of the core issues that urban areas have as whole cities. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had transportation issues. We had homeless issues. We had education issues. Guys were wanting to start charter schools. We had economic development issues. Uh, You know, the full range of issues can be kind of brought to bear in a downtown area. And man, I laid out a, uh, you know, a whole set of objectives for all of these various uh, areas and and whatnot. So it was it was incredible, incredibly uh, stimulating, and I very uh, excited a- about those years. You know, yeah. I think we did some good. Sure, I really do. Oh, it was you know, blossoming. You know, it was the, great. The, you know, the problem that we have too often when we think about progress in downtown St. Louis is we have had a tendency to cannibalize our progress. You know. Uh, three or four years ago when Ballpark Village came online, everybody got excited about Ballpark Village, which is fine. It's great. But to my way of thinking, it kind of cannibalized Washington Avenue, right? And Washington Avenue, if we're honest about it, had kind of cannibalized the police landing. Yeah. And uh, we have a tendency in this community sometimes to pat ourselves on the back for just trading as opposed to creating real growth. Uh, and that's because the region doesn't grow. So long as the region stays the same size in economic output and population, even when we have a uh, an apparent win, I think it's arguable about as to whether it's really a net benefit for the community. And that's because the size of the pie doesn't grow. You know, if the pie stays the same size and you do something good, it's probably just going to deplete some other part of the right. community. Right. Uh, that's been the history of St. Louis, you know. Uh, our population as a community, as a region, hasn't changed much uh, for 50 years. It's just relocated. It's moved from the city to the county, increasingly to St. Charles. Uh, and what we have to come to grips with is the fact that we've got to create broader platform of growth in the region in order to create real winners as opposed to just winners and losers, which is what we've done for most of my lifetime. Your answer right there essentially answers the question of how did you go and why did you go from running a business and, of course, also being an attorney to deciding I'd like to be the St. Louis County executive. And I didn't even ask you why you want to be the St. Louis County executive, but it sounds like right what you said right there is, is essentially, you know, the platform. Well, I... Um, I'm a lot older, right, than probably a lot of people listening to this program. When 
when I grew up in St. Louis, it was a very different place. And I've been distressed over my professional career with the trajectory of the region. Now, I haven't been always directly involved in civic matters. I was trying to build a business and raise a family and build a life preoccupied with my own interests, I, I guess. But I've always had this frustration, as I sense you have from having listened to you, uh, around the trajectory of uh, this community. When I was a kid growing up in Afton in the 60s, uh, the city was the 10th largest city in America. Think about that. Yeah. Today, it's 61-ish or something like that, right? Think how differently that might feel. As late as 1970, 1970, I'm a sophomore, junior in high school. Uh, the region is the 10th largest metropolitan area in the country. In the 60s, when I'm a kid, the football Cardinals came to St. Louis. Came to, came St. to Louis. St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, the Blues came to St. Louis. Now, we lost the Hawks, right? right? But we had been, for a number of years, a four-sports team community, Right. Uh, and even beyond those kinds of things, there was a lot of stuff happening, man. Uh, the arch was coming out of the ground. Uh, Bush Stadium 2 was getting built. There was this whole kind of urban renewal in, in downtown St. Louis. My uh, friends and classmates, parents were working in the space program, McDonnell Douglas. And when the Gemini spacecraft is like in orbit, I'm sitting next to my, you know, eight-year-old friend whose dad works for McDonnell Douglas who's worried that the thing's going to go well, right? I mean, we're in the middle of national, international stuff. Uh, the, 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 the Cardinals and Jack Buck and Harry Carey and Bob Hyland, uh, you know, were like the communication, radio communication center yeah. of uh, the, the country. Uh, uh, Jack Kennedy read four newspapers every day, and one of them was the Post-Dispatch. <laughs> So this is the community that I grew up in and that I still feel a part of. And yet I look around now and we're being challenged and passed, unfortunately, in many cases, by communities that I have thought of as minor league cities. You know, the, the Nashvilles and the Louisvilles. And, uh, and the, these were places that when I, in my youth, weren't even in the same game with St. Louis. I mean, we were, I was thinking about Chicago, right? When I went to Quincy College, uh, maybe a third of the students were from St. Louis, two-thirds were from Chicago, and we had a real uh, kind of competitive <laughs> thing going all the time, St. Louis and Chicago. Uh, now, I, 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 I so regret the fact that I don't think we're, we're competitive with cities of that uh, uh, substance. And I feel a sense of responsibility about this. This has happened on my generation's watch. Uh, it's, it predated our my generation, in fairness. It's it started in the 40s, right? But it certainly hasn't gotten better. And I think I've had a different set of life experiences than a lot of people who've been in political life in St. Louis. And I want to help. Uh, and so all I'm doing is I'm just raising my hand. And I'm saying, if I can help, I'm in, all right? I'm all in. I don't, I'm not trying to start a big fancy political career. I'm not interested in any other office. Uh, this would be it. St. Louis County it, Executive, man. I'm not going, oh, this went well. No. Now I'll, now I'll, now I'll go I'm to six, governor. Tim, I'm 63, all right? I'm 63. Uh, there's no job I'd rather have, frankly. Mm -hmm. uh, I would never want to be a legislator. 
right, to, you know, go to some uh, legislative body and have a bunch of guys tell me how I got to vote. Mm-hmm. Everything, that'd drive me nuts, <laughs> right? Uh, but to be in a position to enhance uh, the growth uh, and the way we think about challenges that the community has and to kind of restart this engine is incredibly attractive to me. Attractive to me, and uh, so that's what this is all about. So I have two questions from your answer there, and they both start with how. How did it happen that it went from what it was, that glorious time in St. Louis's past that uh, unfortunately is forty, fifty years removed? And then the second one, which is probably more important, but I, I want I want you to, of course, give a great answer to both, is how can we change it? Okay. So, so first of all, I, I want to before I answer the two questions, I want to make one clarification. I don't think it was working well for everybody back when I was a kid either. Uh, what I described was the way it it felt to a kid growing up in Afton. All right. Mm-hmm. I remember driving to Old Bush Stadium, Bush Stadium 1, Sportsman's Park. Sportsman's Park. That, that you probably never saw, right? I go to the restaurant to get yeah. Larry Wilson burger. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, there's a picture of it there. Uh, and the, uh, the, the poverty that we would encounter as we were driving down uh, around the ballpark was um, a, a grotesque. So I, I, I just want to clarify that because what I'm describing about this period of glory in St. Louis's past was not that way for everybody, right? I mean, we have been as segregated and had as much poverty uh, as any city in America for my whole life, right? Uh, uh, so there's so there's that distinction relative to the question. I don't want to I don't want to leave people with the impression that I thought everything was, that I know everything was perfect in the 60s. It wasn't, right? Uh, uh, your, your first question was? How did St. How did this happen? go from and how can it go back to? Yeah. Uh, I attribute our decline to two primary factors. I think there are many, but uh, one of those is that I don't believe that our leadership has always been a, as effective as it should be, could have been, in making forward-looking decisions. Uh, The reason Atlanta is Atlanta and St. Louis is St. Louis is, I think, influenced largely by our airport decision. We wanted to have a close-in airport that we didn't really expand. Atlanta went all in on investing in their airport airport when it was smaller than St. Louis Mm -hmm. uh, at, at, at the time. Which is amazing considering the traffic you see at Lambert now and then if you go through Atlanta. But it it is amazing. But if you think about it, Tim, and uh, you're an entrepreneurial guy, it's not surprising, right? Uh, People who invest in their future with starting a business or getting an education or whatnot have a tendency over the longer term to benefit from that, I think. Uh, so we have frequently failed to invest in this community in, uh, to my satisfaction. Um, I, I've, I've described this as we've never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And, uh, and you know, you have to reap what you sow. 
this is our biggest challenge today uh, is that we're not effective at making this place a, uh, someplace people want to invest in. Uh, have you ever read the stories about uh, when, when Stuart Symington was a senator, they were looking at putting, uh, this maybe is in the 40s, uh, putting the uh, United States Air Force Academy uh, where they're going to where they're going to build uh, the Air Force Academy, and a site on the east side was one of the three finalists. Right? Uh, have you ever heard the stories about uh, when Disney was thinking about bu- building uh, Disney World in downtown? And we got into a, a a struggle around whether they could serve beer or not. Okay, <laughs> we have missed a lot of opportunities. Gene cha- McNary's story on the Cardinals moving made me want to just like start pounding my I could I, I hadn't heard that story yeah. I knew they moved but I was 10 so I didn't know the details horrendous yeah and how about the uh, I, I, have you ever and I can't relate the story effectively heard the story about how we failed to get one of the two expansion teams in oh, the NFL in, in 1992 93 yeah 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 right yeah, when, when when our business leaders were openly uncooperative with one another in front of the NFL board mm-hmm. and, and why not so uh, you know we've we've just We've had a, a series of uh, missteps relative to creating investment uh, opportunity. And why do you th- I know you, I, 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 I hate to keep drilling down on this, but I'm fascinated by your thought process on it. Why do, why do you think that stuff was going on? Because there is a mindset in St. Louis that personally for me drives me up the wall. And I do think I think it's short sighted, which is essentially what you're describing. But we're talking about some decisions made 30, 40 years ago in the case of the 1990s thing, 25, 26 years ago. And I, I feel like it's like it's not necessarily looking out for the greater good, but it's looking for my own. And by my own, I'm talking about a business leader's self-interest. Like when he, when Gene McMary was telling the story about the business leaders and the bankers in St. Louis, telling him you're to Mayor Shamel, your career's over if you support McNary's plan. And that's why the Cardinals moved. I'm going, oh, my God, don't you realize what you just did? But I feel like there's a number of stories like that. And I don't feel like a lot of other cities have these horror stories that St. Louis does. I'm sure they have some, but these are some monsters. Yeah, I don't know that I, I don't know that I can explain those things uh, particularly well. And I, and I, I don't know. It, it certainly doesn't do anybody any good to uh, assess blame to those people who I guess thought they were doing the right thing uh, at the time. I think we've had a dearth of creative leadership. Uh, uh, I think since uh, uh, since Bob Highland, uh, since uh, since Gussie Bush, uh, uh, since civic progress was what it used to be, uh, there has been not even a concentration of leadership. Right now, there's a vacuum. Right, yeah. there used to be leadership. They didn't always get it right. So my dad, my dad says, Timmy, there used to be all these big hitters, and they get on the phone with the guys in New York and say, "Hey, this is the way it's going to be," and they would work something out. Who's doing that now? I'm told that Bob Highland used to uh, go before Civic Progress and say, "This is what we're doing," <laughs> not saying, "Will you?" But this is what we're right. doing. Yeah. Okay, that it takes that sometimes. I think, mm-hmm. and uh, we've had a lot of well-intentioned business leaders and uh, political leaders, governmental leaders uh, and the like. But I'm not certain that anybody's had both the entrepreneurial orientation and the commitment to create change. Mm -hmm. Right. The other thing thought that occurred to me is, you know, for a lot of us, quality of life in St. Louis has been pretty good. Not everybody, but for a lot of us, the quality of life, 
has been pretty good. And where things are pretty good, it takes more to take a risk. Right, because there's complacency. Exactly, right. Uh, you know, Chicago wouldn't be Chicago if it hadn't been for the Chicago fire, right? <laughs> and and uh, uh, San Francisco had the earthquake, right? Uh, Pittsburgh is is doing much better today because their economy tanked when the steel industry tanked, and it happened quickly. And so sometimes it takes uh, hitting the bottom before you bounce. And St. Louis has never really hit the bottom in that same way. I thought Ferguson was going to be our Chicago fire moment, to tell you the truth. I thought that the community would say, enough, we have got to redefine ourselves. Uh, And it seems to me that but for those activists who are still engaged, a lot of folks in St. Louis are tired of hearing about it and just want to put it behind them instead of saying, what does this tell us about how we move forward, right? Uh, I think it's a missed, it's a horrible reference, but it's, it's a missed opportunity in terms of creating growth in terms of how we define our I I, I thought that combined with the Rams, combined with the soccer vote, all happening in a matter of four years, uh, brought an awakening, at at the very least from the 20 and 30 and 40-somethings who are loyal listeners of our radio show and now of the podcast, to talking about something that really hadn't been discussed all that much, which is the merger of St. Louis City in St. Louis County. Now I feel like I don't go a week without hearing it, and oftentimes, anytime I have anybody with political uh, either aspirations or have been in office, where it, it, it talks about it, and whether it be Republican or Democrat. Yeah. Jack Danforth spoke about it when, when I interviewed him uh, a few months ago, and he said, I'd love to see it happen. I don't know if it will happen. Gene McNary talked about his plan with the boroughs. Where do you all see right. that going? So, so first of all, I think you're right. I think that we are reaching a tipping point. I like to think we have reached a tipping point so far as creating change in the community for those reasons. Uh, again, uh, you know, the, the Rams left and worse almost than the Rams leaving on their way out the door, NFL, the NFL blasts this community as being economically stagnant and backward thinking. And that almost haunts me more than the Rams just going back to L.A. to tell you their perspective on Mm -hmm. the future of this community. Uh, We miss out on the MLS thing. We miss out on uh, on Amazon. We fall from 20th to 21st in the largest metropolitan areas uh, in the in the country within, what, four years, huh? Uh, I think that there is a sense today of. It's not working. We've got to change. But that change is not only around government structure, it's around social issues, I think, too. Because I don't think we can achieve our potential if we don't deal with the social stuff as well. So I'm going to tell you a story here. Uh, I hope I'm not no. depleting. Everybody always, when we, when we do this, they go, God, I hope I'm not going to. I go, no, you got it. You got all the time in yeah. the world. That's what we okay. do here in the pot. It's a free-for-all. Okay. A lot right. of these things wind up going right. 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, just, good. So just so you know, feel free. So so uh, you and I have talked. I had this opportunity to spend a year, uh, 2016 at Harvard. Uh, I had an uh, incredible opportunity to spend a year there. I had a fellowship. I could study anything I wanted or nothing. I could just write. I could just read or I could take any course in the whole university. Well, because I'm so frustrated about St. Louis's um, status, I hung out at the Kennedy School of Government almost exclusively, took a lot of courses there on state and local governance and the like. 
there's a guy there who is a professor uh, who used to be, uh, in his younger days, a mayor of Indianapolis, a guy named Stephen Goldsmith. And after he left that job, uh, he was um, deputy mayor of operations for New York City. We'll just let that sink in for a minute. Mayor, deputy mayor of operations for New York City. Can there be a worse, harder job in America? <laughs> I can't right? even imagine. Yeah, right. I mean, he had like, you know, tens of thousands of employees picking up trash and the, you know, incredibly uh, challenging job. Well, he's become uh, the leader of a movement that has swept a lot of government uh, institutions across the country uh, associated with using data and analytics and technology to enhance the delivery of government services. So uh, St. Louis is uh, barely scratching the surface, but a lot of communities where it's happening are very involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he teaches a class uh, at Harvard uh, called uh, Urban Innovation, which is a study of how these uh, approaches are redefining delivery of government services in a lot of places. So I want to take this class because it fascinates me, Mm -hmm. having come from a a digital marketing business especially. So I go to three or four classes. I'm the oldest guy in the class by, you know, 25 years. And so after the third or fourth class, I I feel like I better introduce myself to this guy. So I go up to him after class. And I I say, Professor, I'm I'm Mark Montavani. I'm here because I'm just trying to figure out what I can do to help my hometown. And he says, well, it's great. Glad to have you, Mark. He said, "Uh, where are you from? I said, I'm from St. Louis. And he says to me, that's the most dysfunctional local government in America. And I kind of, I kind of foolishly laughed thinking he was teasing me and he didn't crack a smile. He said, no, seriously, that is the poster child for dysfunctional local government. And I tell the story because a lot of us have sensed this, but we don't really have the ability to calibrate this across Mm -hmm. the country. Right. Right. And, uh, and the, the fact is that this is the way the community is viewed by the best and the brightest minds in that kind of local government space. Uh, so it's clear that our government fragmentation is, has contributed to uh, the difficulty of creating change across uh, the community. Uh, we have to change our thinking from this kind of parochial uh, uh, city, county, Kirkwood, Webster stuff to regional or we will never get better. We will never compete in a global economy if we're hung up about these parochial distinctions. We have got to think more regionally, for sure, unequivocally, right? So how does that, uh, uh, how does that manifest itself is your question that I'm coming to. So the, the, the fragmentation that we have in the community has at least two heads. Uh, the monster has two heads. One is the city-county divide. One is the multiplicity of municipalities in St. Louis County. Let's deal with them separately. Uh, With respect to the city-county divide, I get asked every day, as you alluded to, three times a day, where are you on city-county merger, right? Well, first of all, uh, I don't like the term merger. If I'm asked if I'm in favor of merger, the answer is no. I'm not in favor of merger because... First of all, the term doesn't even work in this context. Merger, we're conditioned by commercial transactions right, to right. assume that company A acquires company B. Right, right. Company B goes away. Company A gets bigger, and you never hear from company B again. That doesn't really work here, in my mm-hmm. opinion. I, don't, I, don't, I hope nobody's really advocating for that. I think that's foolish. Right? Uh, what I am in favor of, though, 
uh, is a closer relationship between the city and the county. Uh, and I think we can have our cake and eat it, too, if the city reenters St. Louis County, rejoins St. Louis County, just like another city in St. Louis County. We got 89 or 90 of them today, depending on what the uh, latest news says, uh, that the city of St. Louis becomes another one of those. So it is it becomes part of St. Louis County. But it retains its independence as a city, just like Kirkwood is independent of mm-hmm. uh, Webster or St. Louis County. Uh, here's what that does for us. It allows us to create the county council as a legislative forum to effectuate policy for city and county together. It's just county at that time. Mm-hmm. But we can make policy now that affects a million three hundred thousand people and both parts of the economic driver of the state of Missouri, city and county of St. Louis, uh, consistently. I think that's a sea change. So right now we have a million people in the county. We have 300,000 round numbers in the, uh, the city. Mm-hmm. So now we have a million three hundred if we put the city in the county, a million three hundred thousand in St. Louis County. The county council goes from seven to ten. OK, the city continues to operate as a city, just like Kirkwood and Florissant uh, and Cool Valley and Eureka operate as cities. They have their own board of aldermen. They have their own mayor. They're still operating as a city and the county is not assuming their debts. The reason many people in St. Louis County uh, initially resist this is because they're afraid of the pension liabilities. They're afraid of the negative uh, fiscal status of the city of St. Louis. And they say, I don't want anything to do with it. A lot of them just moved to the county, and they're like, God, I just got the hell out of there. I don't want to deal with that, right? But as a practical matter, we're not straddled in St. Louis County with the debt of the city of St. Louis by virtue of the city becoming part of the county. And yet we can still get at the same table and make policy. I think that's a big deal. And even more importantly, attitudinally, it changes the way we think about Mm -hmm. the region. Right now, a lot of us drive around the county and we go between, uh, you know, uh, uh, Florissant and Normandy or uh, between uh, uh, Kirkwood or Webster or Glendale. And we half the time don't even know which one we're in. But when we drive into the city, people from the county are like, I'm in the city now. Right. Mm -hmm. And the people from the city feel the same way. If the city were part of the county. Over time, that will dissipate and will come to be one county, one place. Now, all of these neighborhoods can retain their identity, uh, 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 their financial integrity, and yet we can – this is the way Chicago operates with Cook County. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. this is not – I don't think it should be revolutionary, but in St. Louis, some people uh, view it as such. I get told every day by political consultants – Mark, shut the hell up about that because there are people in St. Louis County who are going to vote against you because you want the city and the county to be more uh, affiliated. And Tim, too bad. I mean, I, we've got to get over this. We have got to get over this. And I think we, so when I say we can have our cake and eat it, too, we can bring the city county together so that they can work more effectively, more closely together. We don't have to bankrupt uh, St. Louis County. We don't have to bring the city's debts into St. Louis County, but we can create uh, much more of a consolidated mindset, at least across the community. Hope you're enjoying our interview with St. Louis County executive candidate 
Mark Montavani. If you're enjoying our interviews here on the Tim McKernan Show, please make sure you do business with our sponsors. At the very least, give them a chance. And on top of it, I know that I'm recommending companies and people who I can tell you firsthand, they know their business and they do great work. And that makes it really easy to recommend them. If I didn't feel that way, honestly, I wouldn't do the spots because my credibility is on the line. I'm not going to send you to somebody I think, oh, gosh, this guy wants to advertise, but he doesn't know what he's doing. That is certainly not the case with James Carlton. I have gotten to know James since the start of the podcast, and I got to tell you, I'm so impressed. And I, when I first met him and he goes, you got to check out our Google reviews and our Facebook reviews, people are really excited about it. I'm thinking, okay, well, these are probably, you know, fake accounts and people are just saying it just to get traffic. And, and then I got to know him and his staff and I'm going, well, now I get why people are so excited about what he does at James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, because they really do separate themselves from everybody else with not only their knowledge, but their customer service. And that is so important in insurance with home buying season heating up. After you get pre-approved with Ryan Kelly, be sure to get a quote from a top agency and provider of the number one home insurer in North America. Go to James Carlton's website, carltoninsurance.net. See what the good word is. The switch is easy. They do all the work for you. It just takes one phone call or applying online at carltoninsurance.net. People do business with James because they like him and they trust him. And once you talk to him, you will understand the program as well. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton State Farm. 314-961-4800. That's 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. You mentioned the the city, the county element, and then also the municipality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then what do you do if, in fact, this can be accomplished? What do you do then with the 8990-ish municipality? So I think uh, uh, we have to be practical about this. Uh, My sense is that Merging all of the municipalities in St. Louis County is a bridge too far. Uh, the people I know, a lot of the people I know who live in Kirkwood uh, or, frankly, who live in Cool Valley uh, are not going to be happy about taking those communities out of existence. Or even, frankly, with all due respect to Gene uh, McNary, becoming part of a bigger borough that somehow or other causes them to lose that uh, identity. Uh, I don't think our regional decline is as much a function of the municipalities as it is the city county problem. And uh, I mean, I don't think Amazon didn't come here uh, perhaps for either reason, but they certainly didn't avoid St. Louis because Maplewood and Richmond Heights were two different communities. They didn't even think about Maplewood and Richmond Heights. But I think they may have thought about, wait a minute, I got to talk to these people about the city. I got to talk to these people about the county. They don't seem to have their act mm-hmm. together. I think it's a much bigger impediment for us in our in our growth. So I, I, uh, I, I think that the municipality issue today isn't uh, worth the political cost to deal with it. I think the city county thing is. So then you would keep the municipality situation yeah. as it is. Okay. I would. Now the, the criticism of the municipality. Now, now having now, said that, okay. I, 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 if I, if I'm county executive, I'm going to have an office of uh, municipal affairs in the county that to the extent communities want to collaborate together, to the extent they want to merge, uh, you know, uh, smaller communities 
in order to provide joint services and whatnot will help them instead of stay out of it, staying out of it. I think right now the county kind of stays out of it, which I think is foolish. So we would be very supportive of all that stuff, but we're not going to top down dictate that all these cities go away. I think that's I think that's not likely to be doable, regardless of what one's mm-hmm. preference might be. The criticism of the municipalities is all of the excess spending that would not be necessary if they are consolidated into just one St. Louis county. What would your response be to that? I, th- I think those statistics are uh, exaggerated. Uh, the number of police officers doesn't really go down if all of those police officers report to one one central location. Many of the, most of the services in local government are provided on a per capita basis. Right? Now, yeah, you, you, we, might, uh, uh, we might lose some mayors. We might be able to save some of that dough. All right. So there are some savings there, but I, I don't subscribe to the notion that this saving is going to be a billion dollars, as I heard uh, mm-hmm. uh, County Executive McNary refer to uh, the other day. There's some savings, but uh, most, of the, most of these services are provided nationally on a per capita basis. And if you look at those costs in the St. Louis region, they're not that much higher than most other places. In fact, Indy, uh, which did the, you know, the prototypical mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Unigov, uh, has higher per capita expenses for a lot of government services, most government services, than we do. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, uh, city councils and mayors, those things. Uh, there would be some savings there. I just don't I, – I don't think it's passable. I don't think it's doable. I think you have to deal with the art of the possible in uh, in politics, and I think we ought to run or walk before we run, right? And uh, and I don't even have that on my agenda with respect to municipalities. The, the two things that I've, I've read that you discuss – are two things that are, I'm, I'm incredibly passionate about. And we've talked about to uh, quite a bit, uh, both on the podcast, on the radio show. Uh, first off, I, growing up in the city of St. Louis, in St. Louis Hills, uh, I, was, I, I didn't understand, and of course now at 41 years old, I absolutely don't understand, but just racial bigotry. I don't, I don't know why, for whatever reason, has always been a passionate thing for me, but it all, I've always felt that way. Uh, and I feel like it has played a major role in St. Louis being held back. And I have no idea how like casual racism is somehow uh, still acceptable. And, and and I'm not just talking about from the south side to the north side. I'm talking about across the board. It's, it blows me away, and I think it's a major uh, impediment. And then secondarily, uh, in an interview I saw you do, Mark, uh, you talked about young people, uh, potential young professional business leaders in St. Louis moving away Right after college, if they went, whether they went to the University of Missouri or they were in high school here, and if if they have a chance to come back at twenty two, twenty three years old, or after graduate school, law school, whatever, they're gone. They're most likely Chicago, New York, Dallas, L.A., Denver, and that has driven me up the wall since I was one of those people at the age of twenty three. Yeah, those are two big crazy. issues that, yeah. while they aren't policy issues, I think they impact what become policy issues. So. Two huge issues. Uh, let's talk about the racism question uh, first. There, it is, um, there is no doubt, uh, irrefutable, that racism has contributed to the challenges our community uh, has faced. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there are uh, geographical, uh, historical bases for this, right? Uh, if you've never read the book, I don't know, if, Tim, if you... Uh, uh, mapping the decline. It's, it's, by it's on my nightstand. Colin Gordon. It's All on right. my nightstand. Yeah. Okay. So you know nothing describes in better 
detail with better research the evolution of this community, which is reflective of racial uh, uh, polarization and whatnot. We're still, what, the, the, the fourth or fifth or sixth most segregated city in, in America. We have among the lowest rates of economic mobility in America, the rate at which people move out of poverty. And here's the point. This community, St. Louis, the metropolitan area, cannot progress, achieve its potential without addressing this issue. Whether you're an altruist or not, it sort of doesn't matter because this community can't become a city of prominence in the 21st century in America, much less the world, if it is a, a site and a source of racism. Look, the world has moved on. If we're going to be a factor, we've got to change, right? And so I challenge people every day to begin to think differently about this and to be more willing to accept the policies that are going to be based on uh, uh, inclusion, uh, uh, emphasizing diversity culturally as, as well as racially, uh, 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 equity and justice. We've got to deal with this stuff, whether you like it or not, man. If you're somewhere down in South County and you don't want to hear it, too bad, man. If you care about this community, we've got to deal with this. Uh, the communities that have left us behind tend to be much better at this than we are. We better learn from that, right? Uh, I had a I had a dad who was a tough guy, and if I said, "Dad, I really don't want to," I don't want to uh, get better grades. My dad said, "I don't give a damn, man. You go. You've got to do this, right? There are things we have to do as a community, and dealing with this issue aggressively, constructively, enthusiastically is." One of those. When I talk right. about, it, I feel like oftentimes it's it's like, well, it, it becomes a, well. What about this? In other words, don't want to talk about it or feel like it's overstated. And I feel like if anything, it's understated. I agree with you. I, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. Now, that actually blends very well into the second question that you raised young about people, our young people. people. I'll tell you a story since you're a St. Louis High guy. So I have a son who is uh, 33 or four. I should know. Uh, <laughs> who graduated from SLU uh, High in 2002. And uh, when he was going uh, through high school, like all of us, he had a bunch of buddies that he hung out with mostly. Uh, It was himself and 11 others. And it was 12 because uh, my wife and I always referred to him as the posse, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, (laughs) They were always just out running. Half the time we didn't know where they were, (laughs) right? And the posse was just out. And... uh, so, you know, typical St. Louis U high guys, they all go to college. They were socioeconomically diverse. They came from, uh, they were all white kids, but they were socioeconomically diverse. One guy's dad was a cop. One guy's dad ran a big section of Anheuser-Busch. They, they didn't care, right? right? It's just who the guy oh, sure. was, right? You, you understand, right? They all went to college. They all went to different colleges. Some went, uh, one went to Mizzou, one went to Truman. A couple guys went east, uh, every place in between. So today those guys are uh, young professionals, and there's a couple of doctors, this is very I, I, I hate to sound elitist, but this very single issue high, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all doctors, lawyers, accountants kind of guys, mm-hmm. a couple of uh, not-for-profit guys. Uh, and of the 12, my son's the only one who lives in St. Louis. Wow. Wow. 
the others, and they don't just live in Chicago. They live in Boston. Uh, they live in D.C. They live in Austin. They live in Nashville, Atlanta, Salt Lake City, uh, Columbus. Uh, and every one of those guys came from a St. Louis family. Their parents are all still here. Uh, they wake up in the morning uh, and look at their smartphone to see what's going on in St. Louis. They know who you are. Uh, <laughs> and they probably follow you. And uh, which says... Yeah, what does that say about yeah, that? I, yeah, yeah, you're right. I, 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 I buy into the policy, yeah, but maybe you yeah, shouldn't. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> uh, uh, this, this is tragic for our community. If we can't get our young people to invest their futures here, we've got a big problem, right? I maintain that this is the same, this is a symptom of the same disease that causes Amazon or the NFL to not want to invest here. People invest where they think there's a future. Yeah. That's why the thing that the NFL said when they were on their way out the door bugs me so much because they said this place doesn't have a future, right? We have got to change that narrative. We have to demonstrate that this is a place with a strong future. So not just so we can attract those other investors, but so our kids stay here, right? We've got to grow that pie that I referred to uh, earlier. Mm -hmm. But I think it's doable. I, I, I think this is manageable if we communicate that this place is about change. People don't expect it to be perfect. They only expect it to be making progress, you know, uh, and we have to be thoughtful about embracing change. One of, one of my pet peeves was the Uber thing. And oh, my I, God. I, was, I wasn't uh, involved, and so I don't mean to malign anybody who was. But when a community sends out a message nationally that we're fighting Uber, <laughs> you're communicating uh, to every God. 30-year-old in America I or younger. I this out, and now you're bringing it back. I forgot about it. It was, yeah. it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I well, guess I should believe it, but I couldn't believe yeah, it. E- even, even if we were right on the issues raised— to allow that to become a national story shows total ignorance of what it takes to build a vibrant future. But I think so much of that, Mark, comes from, and this is a tough thing, because like some of the things you're saying, I totally subscribe to, and I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of potential voters go, I don't like hearing about change. In St. Louis, I don't like hearing about change. Yet I totally agree that it is absolutely necessary, and it has to happen. But I think here's another thing that will be unpopular. It's coming from my mouth. So often with St. Louis, many of us haven't lived anywhere else, and so we're not familiar with a lot of what is going on that is lifting up other communities to see that there are some things that we can import to utilize as our own to grow. And then there's this xenophobia applied on a local level to outsiders, which nauseates me as well, the provincialism. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I, I agree. But I attribute much of our community's failure in those respects to a failure of leadership. It's a leader's responsibility to stand up and say, Looks what, look what's going on in other communities, right? Uh, and to bring people along with the leader. Uh, that's why relationships are so crucial for an effective leader. It's all about your credibility and your ability to bring people along, uh, along with you. Uh, 
this brings to mind the MLS situation mm-hmm. for me, right? For me, the frustration with that outcome was that the county didn't get involved. I think that was the failure. It's inappropriate, in my view, for a whole region of 2.8 million people to say to uh, uh, 300,000 people or less, hey, this is your deal. We're out. It's your deal. Right? We're going to come to the games, man. No. If you figure this out for us. Right? Um, and it's a failure of leadership for people who are leaders throughout the region, especially the county executive, uh, editorial self-serving remark as it is, mm-hmm. to not stand up and say, hey, look, we're in. Right? I'm told he would have had to have a vote. Okay, then have the damn vote. If that's what the law says, obey the law. But don't punt. Don't punt the future of the region because it's inconvenient to have a vote. Are you kidding me? That's what leaders do. So these kinds of things about change being not immediately embraced, uh, uh, other parts of the community having to participate, I think that's a failure of leadership, right? Uh, Now, we're going to see, right? Uh, I'm not campaigning on the status quo here. Uh, I, frankly, don't want this job as county executive if we can't change, right? Uh, It's all about change. And if we haven't reached a tipping point in this community yet, with all the slaps in the face we've received in the last four or five years, then I don't know what it's going to take, right? Uh, Are we going to allow the city to turn into St. Louis? Are we going to allow the city to go bankrupt? Uh, I hope not, right? Uh, I'm not suggesting, by the way, that the county has to bail the city out, because I know people will uh, misinterpret that. But we have got to create growth in this region. And to create growth, we've got to convince people this is a place with a future. We've got to have forward-looking leadership who says, this is what we're doing, man. We are on the move. Can you keep up with us, Nashville? Mm -hmm. Here we go, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's the contest, contest we need to be having. And I just think it requires a different mindset from our leadership. I don't think our leaders, some of them, have had a lot of experiences out of town either. Not just the folks who live here, but I don't think our leaders have. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's so much cool stuff going on around the country. All you got to do is be able to steal ideas as a practical man. I mean, look, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, believe me, but there's so many cool things. Uh, You know, in Boston, if you see a pothole on the street, you take a picture of the uh, pothole on your smartphone and you shoot it right to the streets department. They say, thank you, Mr. McKernan. Uh All right. We'll, uh, we'll send you a note when we're working on your pothole. When the crew goes out and fixes your pothole, they take a picture of themselves and the fixed pothole and send it back to you. They respond, right? Simple technology. And by virtue of them ingesting that notice by GPS, Instead of by chronology, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're fixing potholes twice as fast because yeah. if they're if they're two blocks down and they get uh, your note, they go and fix yours because yeah. they're right in the neighborhood, right? Yeah. right? There's a hundred things going on across the country like this that we can do, that we can uh, shake this place up and demonstrate that we're on the move. We just got to have the will. Yeah. The, the, that that excites me to hear you say that. Hey, listen, if, I, if I'm if I'm going to be elected and we want the status quo, I don't want the job. 
I think that's refreshing. Uh, I think it's also refreshing that we've talked for, I don't even know at this point, probably about an hour. And uh, you haven't really, with just uh, with the exception right there, even talked about your opponent in the election, uh, County Executive Steve Stenger. Um, what would you say are the biggest differences between your vision as county executive versus what he has done as county executive? I right, let the record show that you asked this question. Of course, right? absolutely. Uh, okay. So, uh, uh, first of all, when I decided to do this, to run for this office, the only calculation I had made about the incumbent was that I didn't believe he was a good leader. All of the other allegations that are made today about pay-to-play and all that kind of stuff weren't even part of my thinking. Uh, I saw my hometown struggling, my home region struggling, and a a person in the job who I didn't think had the capacity to create change, right? Uh, That's as far as I took it with respect to the the incumbent. Uh, There is a cloud hanging over the St. Louis County government today because of these allegations about uh, pay to play and self-interest and people donating to his campaign who are uh, deriving preferential treatment from the county. There's, uh, you know, if you Google it, there there are 15 stories about different uh, incidents uh, along those lines. Uh, I have no interest in any of that. Okay. Uh, uh, at the risk of sounding arrogant, I, I kind of don't need the job. I don't need the dough. Uh, I'm only interested in what's good for the community. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 have, I have announced a whole different kind of good government orientation that I would have. But frankly, it's a lot of pretty basic commercial CEO stuff, uh, stuff like uh, I, I, wouldn't accept money ever from people doing business with my, mm-hmm. my, my county. Just, I would never accept a gift from somebody. Uh, I mean, a gift of any kind of substance at all from somebody doing business with my company. Mm-hmm. All right. That to, to change the purchase procurement process. That's just what I think good leaders uh, uh, do. In fact, I've announced that if I'm elected, I'm not even going to collect money to get reelected for three years. Right. The incumbent, by way of comparison, took office in January 1 of 2015, and by the end of January had collected $100,000 from donors, right? Uh, I'm not even going to collect money because I don't even want there to be appearance of any of this kind yeah. of stuff, all right? Uh, there's no place for, uh, for any of that. In addition, m- my record would indicate that I have had good relationships with employees and uh, uh, with boards, uh, I think his suggests that relationships are not his strong point. All right. Uh, he, he, his relationship with the County council is in the tank. Uh, he tried to keep them in the dark about stuff. And then when they caught up with it, they reacted and then it turned into a very acrimonious kind of a situation. Right. Uh, uh, he has, uh, been uncooperative with audits. This is preposterous. What type of a CEO would ever not be fully supportive of audits. You know, I've been on a lot of corporate boards over the years. If somebody says uh, in the corporate board meeting, hey, we, what's the status of the audit? Every director immediately looks at the CEO. Mm-hmm. If the CEO 
says, ah, I don't think we need to do the audit. Yeah, Everybody that's, that's says, play well. like hell, right? <laughs> if the, on the other hand, if the CEO says, yeah, yeah, we're, we're on it, uh, the audit, you know, it's a legitimate process, everybody breathes, everybody right, relaxes, right? right? right, right. Uh, any chief executive who struggles with legitimizing audit processes, in my opinion, probably uh, needs to, we need to be concerned uh, uh, about, uh, about that. Uh, uh, county employees are being poorly managed, uh, your first job as a CEO, and I kind of define this as uh, a, a CEO set of responsibilities. It's an executive level position. Uh, county employees, I believe, have been mismanaged. There's been horrible turnover. There's been uh, resignations uh, galore. Uh, the the boards and commissions that are supposed to be appointed by uh, the county executive uh, have tons of positions that have not been appointed. Uh, and many people are... Uh, Outside their term, mm-hmm. uh, you know why that happens. So let's say you've got a, a, a commission or a board or a housing or something like that, and there are five members, and their terms expired. You don't appoint a new guy. So you know why a, man, a manipulative guy would do that because he, if there's something that comes before that board that they don't do what he wants, I uh, he can hold it over their heads. He can fire them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's crap. Yeah. In, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. I mean. These, these processes exist, these checks and balances, for legitimate reason. Yeah. You embrace that. Yeah, yeah. I, my best business work that I ever did was with uh, boards of directors who challenged me, uh, who gave me more discipline, who held me accountable. I love that. It made me a much better CEO, yeah, believe me, yeah. right? Uh, so I don't think there's much that is uh, uh, similar uh, uh, I like people. I like being with people. I think in local leadership, that's important. You have to like to be, to develop relationships. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm sorry. I'm going on too long here. But uh, there's a legendary mayor of uh, Boston, uh, Mayor Menino, who, four-term guy, who was really credited with a lot of the progress that Boston has made. By the way, you know, 25 years ago, Boston and St. Louis were pretty comparable yeah. in most respects. Uh, and today, of course, you know, they're, they've uh, prospered and uh, we've kind of uh, maintained where we were. Uh, Menino did much of that work. So he died in office and uh, he was a real people person. He was always out. And he used to tell people that he thought he knew half the people in Boston, <laughs> right? Boston's two and a half times as big as St. Louis, right? So when he died in office, somebody got the bright idea of uh, running a poll to see how many people knew Mayor Menino. So they did this survey. I can't quote exactly mm-hmm. what the question was, something like, did you know or do you think you had a relationship with Mayor Menino, right? 52% said yes, <laughs> okay? That's what you need in a local leader, yeah. right? Uh, those relationships are important, and uh, I don't think the county executive has any of those skills. We're four to five months, I guess four months away from the actual election, and now maybe I was just missing this when it was going on perhaps beforehand, but I already saw... Uh, an advertisement attacking you, uh, which strikes me as, A, not commonplace for this particular position and not commonplace this far out. I mean, if if it's going on in April as we're sitting here talking, what's it going to be like in in July and then leading into the election in August? You are not a lifetime politician. I'm sure you pride yourself on that uh, in in one respect. And so now this is new that you're getting uh, things thrown at you. Uh, especially four months out from the election, 
And in the in the in the commercial that I have seen, and perhaps some of our listeners have seen, some things are said about your support of Eric Greitens. Some things are said about, uh, at least insinuating perhaps that even as a Democratic candidate, you were supportive of Donald Trump. Um, what is your response to what you have seen put out about you in, in your campaign? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, lots of thoughts. Uh, first is that as uh, uh, my wife Patty and I were going to see Hamilton the other night. Guy comes back, comes by. We're standing in line going to the theater, and he pats me on the back. He goes, "Hey, how you doing?" He goes, "God, uh, they're just beating the hell out of you." And I said to him, "You know what? I grew up in an Italian family, man. This isn't as bad as weeknight <laughs> dinners when I was growing up. I mean, uh, my dad was much tougher about this stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, look, I signed up for this, yeah. right? So, uh, I expected it. You did expect that. You expected it. I'd be intense out of this out of the gate. Not like, this early. Yeah, this right I think there's. I think there's. Uh, there's. Like if it's like this now. What's it going to be like in July? Well, I think there's a uh, there's a message there about the concern that the opponent has about being vulnerable. Uh, that they would uh, begin this stuff uh, so early, but they have a lot of dough. They were collecting money for three and a half years, right? So they have a lot of dough to uh, dump uh, a lot of uh, buckets of uh, you know what on my head and. It's okay. It's not going to. Uh, it's not going to give me any significant uh, pause. I'm a. What about the here. things that they're right. saying? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, with respect to uh, Eric Greitens, Eric Greitens, uh, in some respects, it's a fair criticism. I supported Eric Greitens. Uh, uh, obviously, he turned out to be a wholly different person than I thought he was. And, and you're not just talking about the, the the personal issue that certainly has all the. No, I'm not right because now. he had already started uh, trying to cut education expenses. If you're going to cut education expenses in the state of Missouri, you're on a different wavelength than I am, man. Because you know we're 41st in the state in education spending. 41st in the United States. In the states, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, how how anybody can think that makes a lick of sense for making this a competitive uh, environment is beyond me. All right, so. So I had already fallen off the uh, kind of bandwagon uh, before. In fact, I started falling off the bandwagon bandwagon with uh, with Greitens. Remember the the whole explosion commercials that he had? All right, okay. Uh, I I was aghast. Uh, they were running those things the same weekend, if you recall, that of the mass murder uh, down in Orlando, uh, and uh, did everything I could try to do to get them to stop that stuff because it was uh, so offensive to me. Anyway, so. I had fallen off the bandwagon uh, pretty early, certainly before all of this uh, personal stuff uh, came uh, came out. But they're right. I gave Greitens money. Uh, I I don't want to get into a big discussion of Greitens, but as a practical matter, I thought Greitens had the potential to be a transformative guy. His resume was the best I'd ever seen for a state uh, politician. He had done a lot of stuff that I thought I admired. I mean, you know, he had been with Mother Teresa, for crying out loud. He had built a social uh, entrepreneurship kind of uh, organization. Uh, the mission continues. Uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar, which I admire the heck out of, uh, served his country. I thought the resume suggested this guy had the potential to be special. And, well, I was right, just not kind of the special that I was expecting. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of Democrats— supported uh, Greitens uh, in the early days, especially, uh, you know, he was recruited to run as a Democrat. Uh, he was running against a guy who used to be a Republican, Republican. you know, Chris uh, uh, I always think it's funny that the people who are criticizing me saying that I used to be a Republican 
are pointing to an election where they voted for a guy who used to be a Republican. But it's neither here nor there. Uh, I, 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 a good observation. I, I own that. Yeah. Right. I regret it. Uh, clear mistake. Uh, and uh, hopefully he'll get out of the way so that uh, uh, somebody else can step into the uh, governor's mansion. We can get some work done positively for our state because God knows uh, we need it. With respect to the Trump thing, well, that is just a gross misrepresentation. There's no explanation uh, for that uh, at all. Uh, I, I supported uh, Hillary Clinton. Uh, we, my wife and I both maxed out on our contributions to Hillary Clinton. We voted for Hillary Clinton. Uh, that's just uh, a politician who doesn't want to talk about his own record trying to point the finger at somebody else for something else that's totally inane. Yeah, yeah. And 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 a lot of people see those and they believe them, though. And that's the thing that's got to be, when you're, especially when you're not accustomed to it. I know you said, yeah, I grew up in an Italian family. We dealt with this stuff. But you're in yeah. business, super successful. Now you're throwing your hat into the ring for one job, not interested in going, okay, well, if this works out, then we'll do this. And now you four months before the election, you got... People, it's one thing to be critical, like you said, the Greitens thing. You'll own it, you own it. But if somebody's just making something up, that's the stuff where I get driven up the wall in my little world. You know, I'm not running for anything. The political process is so ugly today, right? Uh, uh, we all know that. I knew it, uh, uh, and uh, I just I. Look, if there were any other way to get this job, I would do it. Right? I mean, if I could interview for this job or if I could write an essay, I, I'm in. Right? But there's only way to, one way to get the job. Uh-huh. And uh, again, all I'm doing is raising my hand and saying to this community, if I can help, I'm willing. All right? I'll go, I'm, I'm going through this process because I want to help. And if the, if the community says, we want you to help, I'm gonna, I'll work morning, noon, and night to try to make this place a better uh, community. Uh, if the community says, uh, we like the status quo, I'm going to scratch my head. But, uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll figure out next steps then, I guess. You know, I, I, uh, uh, I, I don't know how I'll feel about that, but uh, I guess I'll have to wait and see if that ever comes to pass. I like a lot of the things that you said. I have a feeling a lot of our listeners are going to like a lot of what you had to say. But I think perhaps the biggest selling point you have on your resume, uh, it's not Harvard. It's uh, not building a huge company, law school, business school. It's the fact that you live next door to Doug Vaughn. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, actually, the Vaughns moved before we did. Oh, is that right? They did. Yeah, he left me behind. Uh, He left you behind. He did. That had to be a tough day. It was. It was was a very tough day, I think. uh, I, I think our home value actually increased by about 15%. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> Check the county records on that. <laughs> no, Doug and Jody, they're great, they're great people. And uh, not only that, I know he sent at least one or two of his sons to St. Louis U High. Yes, right? indeed. And yep. so, uh, yeah, they've, I've, I've admired uh, Doug and Jody for a long time. Yeah. Really sweet, sweet people. Well, I've, uh, I've enjoyed this conversation quite a bit. I hope you didn't mind. I, I, you, this is what I do. I go an hour and 20, hour and 30 minutes. But right. but, uh, but, there's, but this allows people to hear everything and instead of little sound bites. So the thought process is out there. I've enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. And thank you so much for coming in. I've enjoyed being with you. Thank you. There it is. St. Louis County Executive Candidate Mark Monavani, known, of course, also as Doug Vaughn's former neighbor. Here on the Tim McKernan Show. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Curious what you thought. Uh, email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com. We always welcome your reviews wherever you may podcast. It helps the business of the podcast. As I've said from day one, I don't understand why. I know that it is the case, however. Maybe it has something to do with an algorithm. I have no idea. 
Uh, but if you are a fan of the interviews on the show and questions from the audience, leave a positive review and it helps the cause. So that's all, all we're asking for is supporting the sponsors and leaving positive reviews. And that's the name of the game. Regarding the interview, really enjoyed it. Um, our conversation before and after actually uh, also kind of conveyed where Mark is coming from. And I find the whole desire to help, so to speak, seeing a problem, desiring change, and willing to put yourself out there admirable. Um, especially when, you know, you've done well in your career and you certainly don't need it. This isn't like a young person who wants to get into politics at whatever age and this is just the way they're going to make their splash. This is somebody who's been incredibly successful in business and made it clear, and I thought this was perhaps the most telling comment of the whole thing, he has zero interest in running for anything else. This is where he wants to be. This is what he wants to do, and that's it. And so often, you see somebody and you go, man, I really like what this person brings to the table, but I kind of in the back of my mind feel like the job that he or she is running for is a temp job to get to the next big job. Mark Montavani conveying that that is not the way he views St. Louis County executive. Enjoyed the conversation. Always enjoy the conversation and always enjoy your feedback on the interviews. And, of course, so many questions for questions from the audience. Email me anytime, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. For our sponsors, TheHomeLoanExpert.com and James Carlton. For our executive producer, John Seymour. For our videographer, Nick Yale. And, of course, for our guest, Mark Monavani. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. And we look forward to bringing you more interviews and questions from the audience here on The Tim McKernan Show from... The HomeLoanExpert.com studios.